Welcome everyone to the Dragonfly Dojo. Tonight's talk is entitled, What is the Most Important Relationship in Your Life? So I always hope that um, when I present the talks as a question, that it gets people to think a little bit about the subject. So as we go into this question, think of this question like you know, in the Zen terminology, like a koan, you know, something that we, we work with, something we wrestle with to come to a meaning that is useful to us. So one of the assumptions I make out of my experience as a spiritual teacher over the last 34 years is that we're all seeking fulfillment and peace of mind. And we experience what I would consider a, a basic quest that's very specific to our species. And that is to ultimately base our lives on something that is ultimate and something that is profoundly real. And in order to do this, we utilize symbols. And symbols, though they may be, you know, projected onto the cosmos, those symbols reflect and express what I believe are the depths of our inner life. That in those symbolic expressions, we see our own inner life mirrored. And that's why they're so important. And that's why we love them, whether they appear in you know, our, our history of our religious traditions and in, in art and literature or film. It's that symbolic expression. I don't believe that we can ultimately find this sense of meaning in our jobs, in our family, friends, or politics. In today's world, so much of the discourse is dedicated to a certain type of political language. And I don't believe, as the old police song said, that there is a political solution to our troubled evolution. So where do we find this meaning? We find it within ourselves. It doesn't come from without, it comes from within. So what is this thing? What is this relationship? In our tradition, we say that the most important relationship in your life is the relationship to your true self. That all other relationships will not be effective and will not blossom or unfold as they might unless we have that first relationship to our true self. 
And if we don't meet our true self, I do not believe we will ever really find fulfillment in life. I think that we will constantly seek it in those outer things. And something that I know from my experience, not only as a human being that's been on this planet for 58 years, but someone who has walked with many, many, many people over the decades. And I have seen people on both ends of the spectrum. I've seen people who feel like they're lacking in everything. And then I've seen people on this side who seem to lack nothing. And the strange thing is, it didn't matter. When it came to that, that sense of fulfillment in life and that a deep abiding sense of inner peace, sense of harmony with the universe, it didn't matter. And the people in the middle, they were either trying not to fall back here or they were trying to get here, but it didn't matter. The great strange thing was when I, I met people who had fulfilled all the goals that they had set out for themselves. And there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But they had achieved all these things. And upon achieving it, after a little period of time, there was an emptiness in their life. Like something was still missing. Some of them it drove to great acts of desperation born out of depression. So I know with absolute confidence that it doesn't come from out there. It can only come from within. It can only come from an intimate relationship or from our truest, deepest self. And once we have rediscovered our true self, because that's the thing, it's not like our true self went somewhere or never existed. Our true self has always been. But because of the layers of conditioning that we all experience as we evolve as sentient beings, we lose touch with it. And even the relationship we have with it now as conscious beings is different than the relationship to the true self we had as unconscious. A lot of which I talked about last week when discussing the nature of the human being in the way of liberation. And when we rediscover our true selves, the miracle is, the wonderful, the beautiful thing is, is that all those relationships, you know, friends, families, our vocation, all those things, even, even our social and political life, all those things become manifestations of our true self and not the other way around. That's the really cool thing. And those, those things become manifestations of our true self through our ego self. It's not like we can live in the true self or just be with the true self. It's a dynamic. It's a relationship between the true self and the ego self. And I like to put these things in romantic terms. I was talking to one of my uh, students yesterday, and he's a he's a scholar and academic. And we were talking about 
you know, that how this tradition, our Buddhist tradition, our faith tradition, is not just reasoning, but it also has an honorable place for intuition and the things that go beyond just logic and intellect. And I like to think of them as reason and romance. And in our conversation, I said, you know, when the age of enlightenment came and it changed the world in many ways for the better, in many ways for the better, so many ways. There was a reaction to it though, because it was very rational. And so the reaction to it was the movement of the romantics and the German idealists. So it, it, it's necessary for humans to have both. Like if you have one and you don't have the other, people just are out of balance. So when I talk about the true self, I can certainly talk about it in a rational way. And I did a lot of that last week. But this week, I want to talk about it in terms of a relationship. And I want to think of it, of it as a romantic relationship. I think of it, I think of the true self as a form of the eternal that is in love with the forms of the temporal. So I think of my true self as actually being in love with my egos. And the same for you. It's in love. With That's the kind of relationship I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just an intellectual idea. I'm talking about a deep, passionate relationship. And since we are all relational beings, interdependent with all things, Everything is about relationship. There's nothing about us that isn't related to something. You know, where we talk about our physical sense of self, our psychological sense of self, or just our existence in this commingled universe. So, placing it in that framework, what are the steps of a good relationship. So we think of the relationship with the true self like a passionate, loving relationship. What are the steps? Well, there's two primary ways that I see that it happens. One is that we seek that relationship through evaluation. In other words, we study, we evaluate. Now, what would be the parallel to this in a relationship with others, uh, especially a romantic relationship? Well, it would be someone who basically, be, you know, goes out and looks at dating sites, or maybe uh, looks for places where they might go to meet people, right? So they're kind of, studying it from that perspective. And they're thinking a lot about, well, what do I like in a person? What don't I like? What are the things that I want someone to know about me at the beginning of a relationship? Maybe what are the things I don't want them to know about me in the beginning of a relationship, right? It's the date phase, right? <laughs> that, that's self-work. 
But that's how people generally do it. Now, the other way that people do it is just by waiting, waiting for the right one to come along or become available. So those are both ways that we go about. And I think that usually for most of us, it's a little bit of a combination, right? We happen to just come along and meet someone. That's great. But if we don't, then it might involve a little bit of seeking out as well. Now, once we've encountered that relationship, we've found that person. And when we find that person, it's usually not, well, maybe it is for some people, at least for me, like when I met my wife, it wasn't really an evaluation. It was an experience. It was the experience of coming into contact with another being that resonated with me on levels that I could not even put into speech. And certainly there were things that I could evaluate and say, right? She was very attractive to me physically. She had features that I found naturally and always attractive. But there was something more to it, something that was wordless. And so that's how I think often our experience of our true self is. It's something that we can certainly evaluate. It's something that we can certainly talk about and have dialogue about and have dialogue with. But I think on some very deep level, a lot of the practices we do, like the offering of incense or meditation, these are things that go beyond words. These are things that touch us at a deeper level, an intimacy. That's what I like to think of it as, an intimacy. So for example, when I sit and abide in meditation, I'm experiencing an intimacy with my true self. I experience it as an embrace of my true self, holding my ego until we're no longer two, but just And then relationships require nurturing. It's not enough whether we find that person through study and evaluation or we come along and have a happy uh, sort of accident or karmic experience. It's not enough that we do that. We have to nurture that relationship. We have to realize that all relationships can involve projection. So we, we want to allow that projection to not be the only thing that we're seeing. And that's true in every relationship we have. It's also true with our experience of our true nature or true self. We can project onto the true self things that are not useful and not real. Sometimes people will take the true self and turn it into an idol, something that's so far beyond the human realm and it becomes a sort of idealized perfection. 
That's not what the true self is. And in fact, you might ultimately say that Buddha nature is not just the true self, but that relationship, that dynamic with the ego self. So that's important because sometimes we project onto other persons our ideas that are coming from within us, projecting the anima, as we call it, what animates us. But we can also project the shadow. And so it's important for us to realize that projection is something that all humans do in all relationships, but that they wax and wane like the cycles of the moon. We've got such a beautiful moon this summer, the last couple of days. But just like the cycles of the moon, it will wax and wane. And so our relationship and our commitment to that relationship must transcend the way we feel at any given moment. It's a commitment. It's refuge. When I think of my relationship to my true self, it's refuge. When I think of my relationship to my family and the people I love, it's a, it's a form of refuge. And that relationship must be nurtured. I can't expect it to just be. It's like taking care of pet, an animal companion. They, they live with us, so you know they're not able to often go out and fend for themselves, right? So we have to feed them. We have to take care of them. We have to nurture that relationship. Or let's say you had a flower or a plant. You have to nurture it. You can't just sit it there. Because if you do, it'll grow stagnant. It'll die. So it re requires a, a constant sort of interaction and caring for it. You have to care for it. And then we also have to allow the relationship to evolve and grow. Because it won't stay the same. As we know from the second principle of oneness, everything is constantly changing. So if we expect a relationship to always remain the way it's always been, or we try to hang on to a sense of that relationship and not allow people to grow and to change, we won't be able to continue that intimacy. So how do we meet our true self? Well, I think what spawns most people, what spurs most people is suffering. I think most people experience their true self out of a deep sense of helplessness, a deep sense of powerlessness, a deep sense of suffering. And I think for most of us, probably all of us on some level, that's the primary way that we first open up to our true self. I also think that it comes about through seeking, you know. So if I'm suffering, I'm seeking something. And so I think suffering and seeking are the primary ways that we open ourselves up to the path, to our path of liberation. In order to do this, we will find the teachings. We will find a teacher and spiritual friends who might help us. 
And the way that this is typically sort of talked about in the Buddhist tradition is to take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So taking refuge in our true self is taking refuge in the Buddha. Taking refuge in the teachings is taking refuge in the Dharma. And taking refuge in our spiritual friends in community. That's that's finding a teacher, finding a song, finding spiritual friends that can be helpful to us. And you know, at the beginning of our path, like the beginning of any relationship, there's kind of this period, right? Where it's the honeymoon period, where we're just, you know, we're madly in love. And we're walking on air. And then real life kind of pokes its head back in. And that's where I say that if we're not nurturing that relationship, it can be easy at times to feel like we're not connected. Now, I don't believe that's ever true. I think that's always a delusion, a trick of the mind. But we definitely, we definitely can experience that. And, you know, a lot of times at the beginning when that happens, we, we question things, right? So maybe things have been going really well. We, we fell in love with our true self. We're in this great relationship. Everything's moving along. Everything's going really well. And then, you know, some stuff happens and we feel a little bit thrown off, right? Or we get hooked by something. And then we start to question, oh, well, maybe is this real? Is this really working? Is this true? And that's when, as in every relationship, we need to allow ourselves to go beyond those first stages. And when we move beyond those first stages, we move beyond skepticism and agnosticism. And we experience a real faith in that relationship. Because if we get stuck in that skeptical, agnostic place with the relationship, then the problem with that is that even though questioning everything can be a good beginning point, that kind of inquiry ultimately, it offers little insight into the tragedies and uncertainties of life. And so, Experiencing our true self in that relationship is about moving beyond just that initial questioning and inquiry of like, here I am, I'm in love. And then the next stage, is it really the right thing? Is, is this, you know, I start to see through the projections and I start to experience the other things and I get hooked occasionally. That's where faith comes. Faith is something that allows us to embrace the frailties of existence. It's something that allows us to make an existential choice each day, a vow. And that's why all relationships ultimately, I believe, require vows. 
not in the sense of a vow that you keep or you break, but in the sense of a vow that serves as like a star to guide you, to guide you on that journey. So I would ask each of you today, if you have not done so, to consider making the personal existential decision to take refuge in your true self. Even if you're not quite sure exactly what all that means, and even if you, you know, you have a lot of questions, that's good. But it begins by taking that first step, and that first step is a personal decision to allow yourself to experience your truth to try out the idea that it's there, that it's real. And even if in the beginning it's just a, an idea or a practice or an experiment, that's okay. I have great confidence that even if you approach it just as an experiment, just as a symbolic concept, you'll know it. And as you come to know it, you'll experience the intimacy of it. And once you have, no matter what else befalls you in life, you'll know your ground, the ground of being and becoming. So I hope you found that helpful.